Question 38 of Summa Theologica, Pars Prima, Trinity and Creation. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording is by Jim Ruddy. Summa Theologica, Pars Prima, Trinity and Creation by St. Thomas Aquinas. Translated by the Fathers of the English Dominican Province, Question 38 of the name of the Holy Ghost as gift. There now follows the consideration of the gift, concerning which there are two points of inquiry, whether gift can be a personal name, and whether it is the proper name of the Holy Ghost. First article, whether gift is a personal name. Objection 1. It would seem that gift is not a personal name, for every personal name imports a distinction in God, but the name of gift does not import a distinction in God, for Augustine says that the Holy Ghost is so given as God's gift that he also gives himself as God. Therefore, gift is not a personal name. Objection 2. Further, no personal name belongs to the divine essence, but the divine essence is the gift which the Father gives to the Son, as Hilary says. Therefore, gift is not a personal name. Objection 3. Further, According to Damascene, there is no subjection nor service in the divine persons, but gift implies a subjection both as regards him to whom it is given and as regards him by whom it is given. Therefore, gift is not a personal name. And objection four. Further, gift imports relation to the creature, and it thus seems to be said of God in time. But personal names are said of God from eternity as father and son. Therefore, gift is not a personal name. On the contrary, Augustine says, As the body of flesh is nothing but flesh, so the gift of the Holy Ghost is nothing but the Holy Ghost. But the Holy Ghost is a personal name, so also therefore is gift. I answer, the word gift imparts an aptitude for being given. And what is given has an aptitude or relation both to the giver and to that to which it is given for it would not be given by anyone unless it was his to give, and it is given to someone to be his. Now a divine person is said to belong to another, either by origin, as the Son belongs to the Father, or as possessed by another. But we are said to possess what we can freely use or enjoy as we please, and in this way a divine person cannot be possessed except by a rational creature united to God. Other creatures can be moved by a divine person, not, however, in such a way as to be able to enjoy the divine person and to use the effect thereof. The rational creature does sometimes attain thereto, as when it is made partaker of the divine word and of the love proceeding, so as freely to know God truly and to love God rightly. Hence the rational creature alone can possess the divine person, Nevertheless, in order that it may possess him in this manner, its own power avails nothing. Hence this must be given it from above, for that is said to be given to us which we have from another source. Thus a divine person can be given and can be a gift. Reply to Objection 1. The name gift imports a personal distinction insofar as gift imports something belonging to another through its origin. Nevertheless, the Holy Ghost gives himself inasmuch as he is his own and can use or rather enjoy himself, as also a free man belongs to himself. And as Augustine says, what is more yours than yourself? Or we might say, 
and more fittingly that a gift must belong in a way to the giver but the phrase this is this one's can be understood in several senses in one way it means identity as augustine says and in that sense gift is the same as the giver but not the same as the one to whom it is given the holy ghost gives himself in that sense in another sense a thing is another's as a possession or as a slave and in that sense gift is essentially distinct from the giver and the gift of god so taken is a created thing in a third sense this is the, this one's through its origin only and in this sense the son is the father's and the holy ghost belongs to both therefore so far as gift in this way signifies the possession of the giver it is personally distinguished from the giver and is a personal name reply to objection two the divine essence is the father's gift in the first sense as being the father's by way of identity reply to objection three gift as a personal name in god does not imply subjection but only origin as regards the giver but as regards the one to whom it is given it implies a free use or enjoyment as above explained reply to objection four gift is not so called from being actually given but from its aptitude to be given hence the divine person is called gift from eternity although he is given in time nor does it follow that it is an essential name because it imports a relation to the creature but that it includes something essential in its meaning as the essence is included in the idea of person as stated above second article whether gift is the proper name of the holy ghost objection one it would seem that gift is not the proper name of the holy ghost for the name gift comes from being given but as isaiah says a son is given to us therefore to be gift belongs to the son as well as to the holy ghost objection two further every proper name of a person signifies a property but this word gift does not signify a property of the holy ghost therefore gift is not a proper name of the holy ghost objection three further the holy ghost can be called the spirit of a man whereas he cannot be called the gift of any man but god's gift only therefore gift is not the proper name of the holy ghost on the contrary augustine says as to be born is for the son to be from the father so for the holy ghost to be the gift of god is to proceed from father and son but the Holy Ghost receives his proper name from the fact that he proceeds from Father and Son. Therefore, gift is the proper name of the Holy Ghost. I answer that gift taken personally in God is the proper name of the Holy Ghost. In proof of this, we must know that a gift is properly an unreturnable giving, as Aristotle says, a thing which is not given with the intention of a return, and it thus contains the idea of a gratuitous donation now the reason of donation being gratuitous is love since therefore do we give something to anyone gratuitously forasmuch as we wish him well so what we first give him is the love whereby we wish him well hence it is manifest that love has the nature of a first gift through which all free gifts are given so since the holy ghost proceeds as love as stated above he proceeds as the first gift hence augustine says by the gift which is the holy ghost many particular gifts are portioned out to the members of christ reply to objection one as the son is properly called the image because he proceeds by way of a word whose nature it is to be the similitude of its principle although the holy ghost also is like to the father 
so also because the holy ghost proceeds from the father as love he is properly called gift although the son too is given for that the son is given is from the father's love according to the words god so loved the world as to give his only begotten son reply to objection two the name gift involves the idea belonging to the giver through its origin and thus it imparts the property of the origin of the holy ghost that is his procession reply to objection three before a gift is given it belongs only to the giver but when it is given it is his to whom it is given therefore because gift does not impart the actual giving it cannot be called a gift of man but the gift of god giving when however it has been given then it is the spirit of man or a gift bestowed on man the end of chap of question 38question thirty nine of summa theologica pars prima trinity and creation this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. this recording is by jim ruddy summa theologica pars prima trinity and creation by saint thomas aquinas translated by the fathers of the english dominican province Question 39. Of the persons in relation to the essence. Those things considered which belong to the divine persons absolutely, we next treat of what concerns the person in reference to the essence, to the properties, and to the notional acts, and of the comparison of these with each other. As regards the first of these, there are eight points of inquiry. First, whether the essence in God is the same as the person. Second, whether we should say that the three persons are of one essence. Third, whether essential names should be predicated of the persons in the plural or in the singular. Fourth, whether notional adjectives or verbs or participles can be predicated of the essential names taken in a concrete sense. Fifth, whether the same can be predicated of essential names taken in the abstract. Sixth, whether the names of the persons can be predicated of concrete essential names. Seventh, whether essential attributes can be appropriated to the persons. And eighth, which attributes should be appropriated to each person. First article, whether in God the essence is the same as the person. Objection one. It would seem that in God the essence is not the same as the person. For whenever essence is the same as person or suppositum, there can be only one suppositum of one nature, as is clear in the case of all separate substances. For in those things which are really one and the same, one cannot be multiplied apart from the other. But in God there is one essence and three persons, as is clear from what is above expounded. Therefore essence is not the same as person. Objection 2. Further, simultaneous affirmation and negation of the same things in the same respect cannot be true. But affirmation and negation are true of essence and of person. For person is distinct, whereas essence is not. Therefore, person and essence are not the same. Objection 3. Further, nothing can be subject to itself, but person is subject to essence, whence it is called suppositum or hypostasis. Therefore, person is not the same as essence. On the contrary, Augustine says, when we say the person of the Father, we mean nothing else but the substance of the Father. 
I answer that the truth of this question is quite clear if we consider the divine simplicity. For it was shown above that the divine simplicity requires that in God essence is the same as suppositum, which in intellectual substances is nothing else than person. But a difficulty seems to arise from the fact that while the divine persons are multiplied, the essence nevertheless retains its unity. And because, as Boethius says, relation multiplies the trinity of persons, some have thought that in God essence and person differ, forasmuch as they held the relations to be adjacent, considering only in the relations the idea of reference to another and not the relations as realities. But as it was shown above, in creatures relations are accidental whereas in god they are the divine essence itself thence it follows that in god essence is not really distinct from person yet that the persons are really distinguished from each other for person as above stated signifies relation as subsisting in the divine nature but relation as referred to the essence does not differ therefrom really but only in our way of thinking, whereas as referred to an opposite relation, it has a real distinction by virtue of that opposition. Thus there are one essence and three persons. Reply to objection one. There cannot be a distinction of suppositum in creatures by means of relations, but only by essential principles, because in creatures relations are not subsistent. But in God relations are subsistent, so by reason of the opposition between them they distinguish the supposita, and yet the essence is not distinguished, because the relations themselves are not distinguished from each other so far as they are identified with the essence. Reply to objection 2. As essence and person in God differ in our way of thinking, it follows that something can be denied of the one and affirmed of the other, and therefore when we suppose the one we need not suppose the other. Reply to objection 3. Divine things are named by us after the way of created things, as explained above. And since created natures are individualized by matter, which is the subject of the specific nature, it follows that individuals are called subjects, supposita, or hypostases. So the divine persons are named supposita, or hypostases, but not as if there really existed any real supposition or subjection. Second article, whether it must be said that the three persons are of one essence. Objection 1. It would seem not right to say that the three persons are of one essence, for Hilary says that the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost are indeed three by substance, but one in harmony. But the substance of God is his essence, therefore the three persons are not of one essence. Objection 2. Further, nothing is to be affirmed of God except what can be confirmed by the authority of Holy Writ, as appears from Dionysius. Now, Holy Writ never says that the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost are of one essence. Therefore, this should not be asserted. Objection 3. Further, the divine nature is the same as the divine essence. It suffices, therefore, to say that the three persons are of one nature. Objection 4. Further, it is not usual to say that the person is of the essence, but rather that the essence is of the person. Therefore, it does not seem fitting to say that the three persons are of one essence. Objection 5. Further, Augustine says that we do not say that the three persons are from one essence, lest we should seem to indicate a distinction between the essence and the persons in God. But prepositions which imply transition denote the oblique case. Therefore, it is equally wrong to say that the three persons are of one essence. 
Objection 6. Further, nothing should be said of God which can be occasion of error. Now to say that the three persons are of one essence or substance furnishes occasion of error. For as Hilary says, one substance predicated of the Father and the Son signifies either one subsistent with two denominations, or one substance divided into two imperfect substances, or a third prior substance taken and assumed by the other two. Therefore it must not be said that the three persons are of one substance. On the contrary, Augustine says that the word humousian, which the Council of Nicaea adopted against the Arians, means that the three persons are of one essence. I answer that, as above explained, divine things are named by our intellect, not as they really are in themselves, for in that way it knows them not, but in a way that belongs to things created. And as in the objects of the senses whence the intellect derives its knowledge, the nature of the species is made individual by the matter, and thus the nature is as the form, and the individual is the suppositum of the form, so also in God the essence is taken as the form of the three persons according to our mode of signification. Now in creatures we say that every form belongs to that whereof it is the form, as the health and beauty of a man belongs to the man. But we do not say of that which has a form that it belongs to the form, unless some adjective qualifies the form, as when we say that woman is of a handsome figure, or that this man is of perfect virtue. In like manner, as in God the persons are multiplied and the essence is not multiplied, we speak of one essence and of the three persons, and the three persons of the one essence, provided that these genitives be understood as designating the form. Reply to objection 1. Substance is here taken for the hypostasis, not for the essence. Reply to objection 2. Although we may not find it declared in Holy Writ in so many words that the three persons are of one essence, nevertheless we find it so stated as regards the meaning. For instance, I and the Father are one. And I am in the Father and the Father in me. And there are many other texts of the same import. Reply to objection 3. Because nature designates the principle of action, while essence comes from being, things may be said to be of one nature which agree in some action, as all things which give heat, but only those things can be said to be of one essence which have one being. So the divine unity is better described by saying that the three persons are of one essence than by saying they are of one nature. Reply to objection 4. Form, in the absolute sense, is wont to be designated as belonging to that of which it is the form, as we say, the virtue of Peter. On the other hand, the thing having form is not wont to be designated as belonging to the form, except when we wish to qualify or designate the form, in which case two genitives are required, one signifying the form, the other signifying the determination of the form, as for instance when we say, Peter is of great virtue, or else one genitive must have the force of two, as for instance, he is a man of blood, that is, he is a man who sheds much blood. So, because the divine essence signifies a form as regards the person, it may be properly said that the essence is of the person. But we cannot say the converse unless we add some term to designate the essence, as for instance, the Father is a person of the divine essence, or the three persons are of one essence. Reply to objection 5. The preposition from or out of does not designate the habitude of a formal cause, but rather the habitude of an efficient or material cause, which causes are in all cases distinguished from those things of which they are the causes. For nothing can be its own matter, 
nor its own active principle. Yet a thing may be its own form, as appears in all immaterial things. So when we say three persons of one essence, taking essence as having the habitude of form, we do not mean that essence is different from person, which we should mean if we said three persons from the same essence. Reply to Objection 6. As Hilary says, it would be prejudicial to holy things if we had to do away with them just because some do not think them holy. So if some misunderstand homoousion, what is that to me if I understand it rightly? The oneness of nature does not result from division or from union or from community of possession, but from one nature being proper to both father and son. Third article, whether essential names should be predicated in the singular of the three persons. Objection 1. It would seem that essential names, as the name God, should not be predicated in the singular of the three persons, but in the plural. For as man signifies one that has humanity, so God signifies one that has Godhead. But the three persons are three who have Godhead. Therefore the three persons are three gods. Objection 2. Further, in Genesis, where it is said, In the beginning God created heaven and earth, the Hebrew original has Elohim, which may be rendered gods or judges. And this word is used on account of the plurality of persons. Therefore the three persons are several gods and not one god. Objection 3. Further, this word thing, when it is said absolutely, seems to belong to substance, but it is predicated of the three persons in the plural. For Augustine says, The things that are the objects of our future glory are the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Therefore, other essential names can be predicated in the plural of the three persons. Objection 4. Further, as this word God signifies a being who has deity, so also this word person signifies a being subsisting in an intellectual nature. But we say there are three persons, so for the same reason we can say there are three gods. On the contrary, it is said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one God. I answer that some essential names signify the essence after the manner of substantives, while others signify it after the manner of adjectives. Those which signify it as substantives are predicated of the three persons in the singular only and not in the plural. Those which signify the essence as adjectives are predicated of the three persons in the plural. The reason of this is that substantives signify something by way of substance, while adjectives signify something by way of accident, which adheres to a subject. Now just as substance has existence of itself, so also it has of itself unity or multitude. Wherefore the singularity or plurality of a substantive name depends upon the form signified by the name. But as accidents have their existence in a subject, so they have unity or plurality from their subject. And therefore the singularity and plurality of adjectives depends upon their supposita. In creatures, one form does not exist in several supposita, except by unity of order, as the form of an ordered multitude. So if the names signifying such a form are substantives, they are predicated of many in the singular, but otherwise if they are adjectives. For we say that many men are a college, or an army, or a people, but we say that many men are collegians. Now in God... The divine essence is signified by way of a form, as explained above, which indeed is simple and supremely one, as shown above. So, names which signify the divine essence in a substantive manner are predicated of the three persons in the singular and not in the plural. 
This then is the reason why we say that Socrates, Plato, and Cicero are three men, whereas we do not say the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost are three gods, but one God. Forasmuch as in the three supposita of human nature there are three humanities, whereas in the three divine persons there is but one divine essence. On the other hand, the names, which signify essence in an adjectival manner, are predicated of the three persons plurally by reason of the plurality of supposita. For we say, there are three existent or three wise beings, or three eternal, uncreated, and immense beings, if these terms are understood in an adjectival sense. But if taken in a substantive sense, we say one uncreated, immense, eternal being, as Athanasius declares. Reply to Objection 1. Though the name God signifies a being having Godhead, nevertheless the mode of signification is different. For the name God is used substantively, whereas having Godhead is used adjectively. Consequently, although there are three having Godhead, it does not follow that there are three gods. Reply to Objection 2. Various languages have diverse modes of expression, so as by reason of the plurality of supposita, the Greek said three hypostases, so also in Hebrew, Elohim is in the plural. We, however, do not apply the plural either to God or to substance, lest plurality be referred to the substance. Reply to Objection 3. This word thing is one of the transcendentals. Whence, so far as it is referred to relation, it is predicated of God in the plural, whereas so far as it is referred to the substance, it is predicated in the singular. So Augustine says, in the passage quoted, that the same trinity is a thing supreme. Reply to Objection 4. The form signified by the word person is not essence or nature, but personality. So, as there are three personalities, that is, three personal properties in the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, it is predicated of the three, not in the singular, but in the plural. Fourth article, whether the concrete essential names can stand for the person. Objection 1. It would seem that the concrete essential names cannot stand for the person, so that we can truly say God begot God, for as the logicians say, a singular term signifies what it stands for. But this name God seems to be a singular term, for it cannot be predicated in the plural, as above explained. Therefore, since it signifies the essence, it stands for the essence and not for the person. Objection 2. Further, a term in the subject is not modified by a term in the predicate as to its signification, but only as to the sense signified in the predicate. But when I say God creates, this name God stands for the essence. So when we say God begot, this term God cannot by reason of the notional predicate stand for person. Objection 3. Further, if this be true, God begot, because the Father generates. For the same reason this is true, God does not beget, because the Son does not beget. Therefore there is God who begets, and there is God who does not beget. And thus it follows that there are two gods. Objection 4. Further, if God begot God, he begot either God, that is, himself, or another God. But he did not beget God, that is, himself, for as Augustine says, nothing begets itself. Neither did he beget another God, as there is only one God. Therefore it is false to say God begot God. Objection 5. Further, if God begot God, he begot either God who is the Father or God who is not the Father. If God who is the Father, then God the Father was begotten. If God who is not the Father, then there is a God who is not God the Father, which is false. Therefore, it cannot be said that God begot God. On the contrary, 
In the Creed it is said, God of God. I answer that some have said that this name God and the like properly according to their nature stand for the essence, but by reason of some notional adjunct are made to stand for the person. This apparent opinion apparently arose from considering the divine simplicity which requires that in God he who possesses and what is possessed be the same. So he who possesses Godhead, which is signified by the name God, is the same as Godhead. But when we consider the proper way of expressing ourselves, the mode of signification must be considered no less than the thing signified. Hence, as this word God signifies the divine essence as in whom, him who possesses it, just as the name man signifies humanity in a subject, Others more truly have said that this word God, from its mode of signification, can in its proper sense stand for person, as does the word man. So this word God sometimes stands for the essence, as when we say God creates, because this predicate is attributed to the subject by reason of the form signified, that is, Godhead. But sometimes it stands for the person, either for only one, as when we say God begets, or for two, as when we say God spirates, or for three, as when it is said, to the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God. Reply to objection 1. Although this name God agrees with singular terms as regards the form signified not being multiplied, nevertheless it agrees also with general terms so far as the form signified is to be found in several supposita. So it need not always stand for the essence it signifies. Reply to objection 2. This holds good against those who say that the word God does not naturally stand for person. Reply to objection 3. The word God stands for the person in a different way from that in which this word man does. For since the form signified by this word man, that is humanity, is really divided amongst its different subjects, it stands of itself for the person, even if there is no adjunct determining it to the person, that is to a distinct subject. The unity or community of the human nature, however, is not a reality, but is only in the consideration of the mind. Hence this term man does not stand for the common nature, unless this is required by some adjunct, as when we say man is a species, whereas the form signified by the name God, that is, the divine essence, is really one and common. So of itself it stands for the common nature, but by some adjunct it may be restricted so as to stand for the person. So when we say God generates by reason of the notional act, this name God stands for the person of the Father. But when we say God does not generate, there is no adjunct to determine this name to the person of the Son. And hence the phrase means that generation is repugnant to the divine nature. If, however, something be added belonging to the person of the Son, this proposition, for instance, God begotten does not beget, is true. Consequently, it does not follow that there exists a God-generator and a God-not-generator, unless there be an adjunct pertaining to the persons. As, for instance, if we were to say the Father is God the generator, and the Son is God the non-generator, and so it does not follow that there are many gods, for the Father and the Son are one God, as was said above. Reply to Objection 4. This is false, the Father begot God, that is, himself, because the word himself, as a reciprocal term, refers to the same suppositum. Nor is this contrary to what Augustine says, that God the Father begot another self, forasmuch as the word say is either in the ablative case, and then it means he begot another from himself, or it indicates a single relation, and thus points to identity of nature. This is, however, either a figurative or an emphatic way of speaking, so that it would really mean he begot another most like to himself. 
Likewise also it is false to say he begot another God, because although the Son is another than the Father, as above explained, nevertheless it cannot be said that he is another God, forasmuch as this adjective another would be understood to apply to the substantive God. And thus the meaning would be that there is a distinction of Godhead. Yet this proposition, he begot another God, is tolerated by some, provided that another be taken as a substantive, and the word God be construed in apposition with it. This, however, is an inexact way of speaking, and to be avoided, for fear of giving occasion to error. Reply to Objection 5. To say, God begot God, who is God the Father, is wrong because since the word Father is construed in apposition to God, the word God is restricted to the person of the Father, so that it would mean He begot God, who is Himself the Father, and then the Father would be spoken of as begotten, which is false. Wherefore the negative of the proposition is true, He begot God, who is not God the Father. If, however, we understand these words not to be in apposition and require something to be added, then on the contrary, the affirmative proposition is true and the negative is false, so that the meaning would be, He begot God, who is God, who is the Father. Such a rendering, however, appears to be forced, so that it is better to say simply that the affirmative proposition is false and the negative is true. Yet, Prepositivus said that both the negative and affirmative or false, because this relation who in the affirmative proposition can be referred to the suppositum, where in the negative it denotes both the thing signified and the suppositum. Whence in the affirmative the sense is that to be God, the Father, is befitting to the person of the Son, and in the negative sense is that to be God, the Father, is to be removed from the Son's divinity as well as from his personality. This, however, appears to be irrational, since according to the philosopher, what is open to affirmation is open also to negation. Fifth article. Whether abstract essential names can stand for the person. Objection 1. It would seem that abstract essential names can stand for the person, so that this proposition is true, essence begets essence. For Augustine says the Father and the Son are one wisdom because they are one essence, and taken singly wisdom is from wisdom as essence from essence. Objection 2. Further, generation or corruption in ourselves implies generation or corruption of what is within us. But the Son is generated. Therefore, since the divine essence is in the Son, it seems that the divine essence is generated. Objection 3. Further, God and the divine essence are the same, as is clear from what is above explained. But as was shown, it is true to say that God begets God. Therefore, this is also true. Essence begets essence. Objection 4. Further, a predicate can stand for that of which it is predicated. But the Father is the divine essence. Therefore, essence can stand for the person of the Father. Thus, the essence begets. Objection 5. Further, the essence is a thing begetting, because the essence is the Father who is begetting. Therefore, if the essence is not begetting, the essence will be a thing begetting and not begetting, which cannot be. And objection 6. Further, Augustine says, the Father is the principle of the whole Godhead, but he is the principle only by begetting or spirating. Therefore, the Father begets or spirates the Godhead. On the contrary, Augustine says, nothing begets itself. But if the essence begets the essence, it begets itself only, since nothing exists in God as distinguished from the divine essence. Therefore, the essence does not beget essence. 
I answer that concerning this, the abbot Joachim erred in asserting that as we can say God begot God, so we can say essence begot essence, considering that by reason of the divine simplicity, God is nothing else but the divine essence. In this he was wrong. Because if we wish to express ourselves correctly, we must take into account not only the thing which is signified, but also the mode of its signification, as above stated. Now, although God is really the same as Godhead, nevertheless, the mode of signification is not in each case the same. For since this word God signifies the divine essence in him that possesses it, from its mode of signification it can of its own nature stand for person. Thus the things which properly belong to the persons can be predicated of this word God, as for instance we can say God is begotten or is begetter, as above explained. The word essence, however, in its mode of signification cannot stand for person, because it signifies the essence as an abstract form. Consequently, what properly belongs to the persons whereby they are distinguished from each other cannot be attributed to the essence, for that would imply distinction in the divine essence in the same way as there exists distinction in the supposita. Reply to Objection 1. To express unity of essence and a person, the holy doctors have sometimes expressed themselves with greater emphasis than the strict propriety of terms allows. Whence, instead of enlarging upon such expressions, we should rather explain them. Thus, for instance, abstract names should be explained by concrete names, or even by personal names, as when we find essence from essence, or wisdom from wisdom, we should take the sense to be the Son, who is essence and wisdom, is from the Father, who is essence and wisdom. Nevertheless, as regards these abstract names, a certain order should be observed forasmuch as what belongs to action is more nearly allied to the persons because actions belong to supposita. So nature from nature and wisdom from wisdom are less inexact than essence from essence. Reply to Objection 2. In creatures, the one generated has not the same nature numerically as the generator, but only another nature numerically distinct, which commences to exist in it anew by generation and ceases to exist by corruption. And so it is generated and corrupted accidentally. Whereas God begotten has the same nature numerically as the begetter, so the divine nature in the Son is not begotten either directly or accidentally. Reply to Objection 3. Although God and the divine essence are really the same, nevertheless, on account of their different mode of signification, we must speak in a different way about each of them. Reply to objection 4. The divine essence is predicated of the Father by mode of identity, by reason of the divine simplicity. Yet it does not follow that it can stand for the Father, its mode of signification being different. This objection would hold good as regards things which are predicated of another as the universal of a particular. Reply to objection 5. The difference between substantive and adjectival names consists in this that the former carry their subject with them, whereas the latter do not, but add the thing signified to the substantive. Whence logicians are wont to say that the substantive is considered in the light of suppositum, whereas the adjective indicates something added to the suppositum. Therefore, substantive personal terms can be predicated of the essence because they are really the same, nor does it follow that a personal property makes a distinct essence, but it belongs to the suppositum implied in the substantive. But notional and personal adjectives cannot be predicated of the essence unless we add some substantive. We cannot say that the essence is begetting, yet we can say that the essence is a thing begetting, or that it is God begetting. 
if thing and god stand for person but not if they stand for essence consequently there exists no contradiction in saying that essence is a thing begetting and a thing not begetting because in the first case thing stands for person and in the second it stands for the essence reply to objection six so far as godhead is one in several supposita it agrees in a certain degree with the form of a collective term so when we say the father is the principle of the whole godhead the term godhead can be taken for all the persons together inasmuch as it is the principle in all the divine persons nor does it follow that he is his own principle as one of the people may be called the ruler of the people without being ruler of himself we may also say that he is the principle of the whole godhead not as generating or spirating it but as communicating it by generation and spiration sixth article whether the persons can be predicated of the essential terms objection one it seems that the persons cannot be predicated of the concrete essential names so that we can say for instance god is three persons or god is the trinity for it is false to say man is every man because it cannot be verified as regards any particular subject for neither socrates nor plato nor anyone else is every man in the same way this proposition god is the trinity cannot be verified in any one of the supposita of the divine nature for the father is not the trinity nor is the son nor is the holy ghost so to say god is the trinity is false objection two further the lower is not predicated of the higher except by accidental predication as when i say animal is man for it is accidental to animal to be man but this name god as regards the three persons is as a general term to inferior terms as damascene says therefore it seems that the names of the persons cannot be predicated of this name god except in an accidental sense on the contrary augustine says in his sermon on faith we believe that one god is one divinely named trinity i answer that as above explained although adjectival terms whether personal or notional cannot be predicated of the essence nevertheless substantive terms can be so predicated owing to the real identity of essence and person the divine essence is not only really the same as one person but it is really the same as the three persons whence one person and two and three can be predicated of the essence as if we were to say the essence is the father and the son and the holy ghost and because this word god can of itself stand for the essence as above explained hence as it is true to say the essence is the three persons so likewise it is true to say god is the three persons reply to objection one as above explained this term man can of itself stand for person whereas an adjunct is required for it to stand for the universal human nature so it is false to say man is every man because it cannot be verified of any particular human subject on the contrary this word god can of itself be taken for the divine essence so although to say of any of the supposita of the divine nature god is the trinity is untrue nevertheless it is true of the divine essence this was denied by poritanus because he did not take note of this distinction reply to objection two when we say god or the divine essence is the father the predication is one of identity and not of the lower in regard to a higher species because in god there is no universal and singular hence as this proposition the father is god is of itself true so this proposition god is the father is true of itself and by no means accidentally seventh article whether the essential names should be appropriated to the persons objection one 
it would seem that the essential name should not be appropriated to the persons for whatever might verge on error in faith should be avoided in the treatment of divine things for as jerome says careless words involve risk of heresy but to appropriate to any one person the names which are common to the three persons may verge on error in faith for it may be supposed either that such belong only to the person to whom they are appropriated or that they belong to him in a fuller degree than the, to the others therefore the essential attribute should not be appropriated to the persons objection two further the essential attributes expressed in the abstract signify by mode of form but one person is not as a form to another since a form is not distinguished in subject from that of which it is the form therefore the essential attributes especially when expressed in the abstract are not to be appropriated to the persons objection three further property is prior to the appropriated for property is included in the idea of the appropriated but the essential attributes in our way of understanding are prior to the persons as what is common is prior to what is proper therefore the essential attributes are not to be appropriated to the persons on the contrary the apostle says christ the power of god and the wisdom of god i answer that for the manifestation of our faith it is fitting that the essential attribute should be appropriated to the persons for although the trinity of persons cannot be proved by demonstration as was above expounded nevertheless it is fitting that it be declared by things which are more known to us now the essential attributes of god are more clear to us from the standpoint of reason than the personal properties because we can derive certain knowledge of the essential attributes from creatures which are sources of knowledge to us such as we cannot obtain regarding the personal properties as was above explained as therefore we make use of the likeness of the trace or image found in creatures for the manifestation of the divine persons so also in the same manner do we make use of the essential attributes and such a manifestation of the divine persons by the use of the essential attributes is called appropriation the divine person can be manifested in two man twofold manner by the essential attributes in one way by similitude and thus the things which belong to the intellect are appropriated to the son who proceeds by way of intellect as word in another way by dissimilitude as power is appropriated to the father as augustine says because fathers by reason of old age are sometimes feeble lest anything of the kind be imagined of god reply to objection one the essential attributes are not appropriated to the persons as if they exclusively belong to them but in order to make the persons manifest by way of similitude or dissimilitude as above explained so no error in faith can arise but rather manifestation of the truth reply to objection two if the essential attributes were appropriated to the persons as exclusively belonging to each of them then it would follow that one person would be as a form as regards another which augustine altogether repudiates showing that the father is wise not by wisdom begotten by him as though only the son were wisdom so that the father and the son together only can be called wise but not the father without the son but the son is called the wisdom of the father because he is wisdom from the father who is wisdom for each of them is of himself wisdom and both together are one wisdom whence the father is not wise by the wisdom begotten by him but by the wisdom which is his own essence reply to objection three although the essential attribute is in its proper concept prior to person according to our way of understanding 
Nevertheless, so far as it is appropriated, there is nothing to prevent the personal property from being prior to that which is appropriated. Thus, color is posterior to body considered as body, but is naturally prior to white body considered as white. Eighth article, whether the essential attributes are appropriated to the persons in a fitting manner by the holy doctors. Objection one, it would seem that the essential attributes are appropriated to the persons unfittingly by the holy doctors. For Hilary says, eternity is in the Father, the species in the image, and use is in the gift. In which words he designates three names proper to the persons, the name of the Father, the name image proper to the Son, and the name bounty or gift, which is proper to the Holy Ghost. He also designates three appropriated terms. For he appropriates eternity to the Father, species to the Son, and use to the Holy Ghost. This he does apparently without reason. For eternity imports duration of existence, species the principle of existence, and use belongs to the operation. But essence and operation are not found to be appropriated to any person. Therefore the above terms are not fittingly appropriated to the persons. Objection 2. Further, Augustine says, Unity is in the Father, equality in the Son, and in the Holy Ghost is the concord of equality and unity. This does not, however, seem fitting, because one person does not receive formal denomination from what is appropriated to another. For the Father is not wise by the wisdom begotten as above explained. But as he subjoins, all these three are one by the Father, all are equal by the Son, and all united by the Holy Ghost. The above, therefore, are not fittingly appropriated to the persons. Objection 3. Further, according to Augustine, to the Father is attributed power, to the Son wisdom, and to the Holy Ghost goodness. Nor does this seem fitting, for strength is part of power, whereas strength is found to be appropriated to the Son, according to the text, Christ the strength of God. So it is likewise appropriate to the Holy Ghost, according to the words, Strength came out from him and healed all. Therefore power should not be appropriated to the Father. Objection 4. Likewise, Augustine says, What the Apostle says, from him and by him and in him, is not to be taken in a confused sense. And from him refers to the Father, by him to the Son, and in him to the Holy Ghost. This, however, seems to be incorrectly said, for the words in him seem to imply the relation of final cause, which is first among the causes. Therefore, this relation of cause should be appropriate to the Father, who is the principle from no principle. Objection 5. Likewise, truth is appropriated to the Son, according to John, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And likewise, the book of life, according to Psalms, in the beginning of the book it is written of me. For a gloss observes, this that is, with the Father who is in my head. Also this word, who is, because on the text of Isaiah, Behold, I go to the Gentiles, a gloss adds, The Son speaks, who said to Moses, I am who am. These appear to belong to the Son and are not appropriated. For truth, according to Augustine, is the supreme similitude of the principle without any dissimilitude. So it seems that it properly belongs to the Son who has a principle. Also, the book of life seems proper to the Son as signifying a thing from another, for every book is written by someone. This also, who is, appears to be proper to the Son, because if when it was said to Moses, I am who am, the Trinity spoke, then Moses could have said, He who is Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, and the Holy Ghost sent me to you. So also he could have said further, He who is the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost sent me to you, pointing out a certain person. 
This, however, is false, because no person is Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Therefore, it cannot be common to the Trinity, but is proper to the Son. I answer that our intellect, which is led to the knowledge of God from creatures, must consider God according to the mode derived from creatures. In considering any creature, four points present themselves to us in due order. Firstly, the thing itself taken absolutely is considered as a being. Secondly, it is considered as one. Thirdly, its intrinsic power of operation and causality is considered. The fourth point of consideration embraces its relation to its effects. Hence, this fourfold consideration comes to our mind in reference to God. According to the first point of consideration, whereby we consider God absolutely in His being, the appropriation mentioned by Hilary applies according to which eternity is appropriated to the Father, species to the Son, use to the Holy Ghost. For eternity, as meaning a being without a principle, has a likeness to the property of the Father, who is a principle without a principle. Species or beauty has a likeness to the property of the Son, for beauty includes three conditions, integrity or perfection, since those things which are impaired are by the very fact ugly, due proportion or harmony, and lastly brightness or clarity, whence things are called beautiful which have a bright color. The first of these has a likeness to the property of the Son, inasmuch as He as Son has in Himself truly and perfectly the nature of the Father. To insinuate this, Augustine says in his explanation, where, that is, in the Son, there is supreme and primal life, and so forth. The second agrees with the Son's property inasmuch as He is the express image of the Father. Hence we see that an image is said to be beautiful if it perfectly represents even an ugly thing. This is indicated by Augustine when he says, where there exists wondrous proportion and primal equality, and so forth. The third agrees with the property of the Son as the Word, which is the light and splendor of the intellect, as Damascene says. Augustine alludes to the same when he says, as the perfect Word, not wanting in anything, and so to speak, the art of the omnipotent God, and so forth. Use has a likeness to the property of the Holy Ghost, provided the use be taken in a wide sense, as including also the sense of to enjoy according as to use is to employ something at the beck of the will, and to enjoy means to use joyfully, as Augustine says. So use, whereby the Father and the Son enjoy each other, agrees with the property of the Holy Ghost as love. This is what Augustine says, that love, that delectation, that felicity or beatitude is called use by him. But the use by which we enjoy God is likened to the property of the Holy Ghost as the gift and Augustine points to this when he says, In the Trinity, the Holy Ghost, the sweetness of the begetter and the begotten, pours out upon us mere creatures his immense bounty and wealth. Thus it is clear how eternity, species, and use are attributed or appropriated to the persons, but not essence or operation, because being common there is nothing in their concept to liken them to the properties of the person. The second consideration of God regards him as one. In that view, Augustine appropriates unity to the Father, equality to the Son, 
concord or union to the Holy Ghost. It is manifest that these three imply unity, but in different ways. For unity is said absolutely, as it does not presuppose anything else. And for this reason it is appropriated to the Father, to whom any other person is not presupposed, since he is the principle without principle. Equality implies unity as regards another, for that is equal which has the same quantity as another. So equality is appropriated to the Son, who is the principle from a principle. Union implies the unity of two, and is therefore appropriated to the Holy Ghost, inasmuch as he proceeds from two. And from this we can understand what Augustine means when he says that the three are one by reason of the Father, they are equal by reason of the Son, and are united by reason of the Holy Ghost. For it is clear that we trace a thing back to that in which we find it first. Just as in this lower world we attribute life to the vegetative soul, because therein we find the first trace of life. Now unity is perceived at once in the person of the Father, even if by an impossible hypothesis the other persons were removed. So the other persons derive their unity from the Father. But if the other persons be removed, we do not find equality in the Father, but we find it as soon as we suppose the Son. So all are equal by reason of the Son, not as if the Son were the principle of equality in the Father, but that without the Son equal to the Father, the Father could not be called equal, because His equality is considered firstly in regard to the Son. For that the Holy Ghost is equal to the Father is also from the Son. Likewise, if the Holy Ghost, who is the union of the two, be excluded, we cannot understand the oneness of the union between the Father and the Son. So all are connected by reason of the Holy Ghost, because given the Holy Ghost, we find whence the Father and the Son are said to be united. According to the third consideration, which brings before us the adequate power of God in the sphere of causality, there is said to be a third kind of appropriation of power, wisdom, and goodness. This kind of appropriation is made both by reason of similitude as regards what exists in the divine persons and by reason of dissimilitude if we consider what is in creatures. For power has the nature of a principle and so it has a likeness to the heavenly Father who is the principle of the whole Godhead. But in an earthly father it is wanting sometimes by reason of old age. Wisdom has likeness to the heavenly Son as the word, for a word is nothing but the concept of wisdom. In an earthly Son this is sometimes absent by reason of lack of years. Goodness, as the nature and object of love, has likeness to the Holy Ghost, but seems repugnant to the earthly spirit, which often implies a certain violent impulse, according to Isaiah's. The spirit of the strong is as a blast beating on the wall. Strength is appropriated to the Son and to the Holy Ghost, not as denoting the power itself of a thing, but as sometimes used to express that which proceeds from power. For instance, we say that the strong work done by an agent is its strength. According to the fourth consideration, that is, God's relation to his effects, there arises appropriation of the expression from whom, by whom, and in whom, for this preposition from sometimes implies a certain relation of the material cause which has no place in God, 
and sometimes it expresses the relation of the efficient cause which can be applied to god by reason of his active power hence it is appropriated to the father in the same way as power the preposition by sometimes designates an intermediate cause thus we may say that a smith works by a hammer hence the word by is not always appropriated to the son but belongs to the son properly and strictly according to the text all things were made by him not that the son is an instrument but as the principle from a principle sometimes it designates the habitude of a form by which an agent works thus we say that an artificer works by his art hence as wisdom and art are appropriated to the son so also is the expression by whom the preposition in strictly denotes the habitude of one containing now god contains things in two ways in one way by their similitudes thus things are said to be in god as existing in his knowledge in this sense the expression in him should be appropriated to the son in another sense things are contained in god forasmuch as he in his goodness preserves and governs them by guiding them to a fitting end and in this sense the expression in him is appropriated to the holy ghost as likewise is goodness nor need the habitude of the final cause though the first of causes be appropriated to the father who is the principle without a principle because the divine persons of whom the father is the principle do not proceed from him as towards an end since each of them is the last end but they proceed by a natural procession which seems more to belong to the nature of a natural power regarding the other points of inquiry we can say that since truth belongs to the intellect as stated above it is appropriated to the son without however being a property of his for truth can be considered as existing in the thought or in the thing itself hence as intellect and thing in their essential meaning are referred to the essence and not to the persons so the same is to be said of truth the definition quoted from augustine belongs to truth as appropriated to the son the book of life directly means knowledge but indirectly it means life for as above explained it is god's knowledge regarding those who are to possess eternal life consequently it is appropriated to the son although life is appropriated to the holy ghost as implying a certain kind of interior movement agreeing in that sense with the property of the holy ghost as love to be written by another is not of the essence of a book considered as such but this belongs to it only as a work produced so this does not imply origin nor is it personal but an appropriation to a person the expression who is is appropriated to the person of the son not by reason of itself but by reason of an adjunct inasmuch as in god's word to moses was prefigured the delivery of the human race accomplished by the son yet forasmuch as the word who is taken in a relative sense it may sometimes relate to the person of the son and in that sense it would be taken personally as for instance we were to say the son is the begotten who is inasmuch as god begotten is personal but taken indefinitely it is an essential term and although the pronoun this seems grammatically to point to a particular person nevertheless everything that we can point to can be grammatically treated as a person although in its own nature it is not a person as we may say this stone and this ass so speaking in a grammatical sense so far as the word god signifies and stands for the divine essence the latter may be designated by the pronoun this according to exodus this is my god and i will glorify him 
The end of question 39. Question 40 of Summa Theologica Pars Prima, Trinity and Creation. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording is by Jim Ruddy. Summa Theologica Pars Prima, Trinity and Creation by St. Thomas Aquinas. Translated by the Fathers of the English Dominican Province. Question 40. Of the persons as compared to the relations or properties. We now consider the persons in connection with the relations or properties, and there are four points of inquiry. Whether relation is the same as person, whether the relations distinguish and constitute the persons, whether mental abstraction of the relations from the persons leaves the hypostases distinct, and whether the relations, according to our mode of understanding, presuppose the acts of the person or contrariwise. First article, whether relation is the same as person. Objection 1. It would seem that in God relation is not the same as person. For when things are identical, if one is multiplied, the others are multiplied. But in one person there are several relations, as in the person of the Father there is paternity and common spiration. Again, one relation exists in two persons as common spiration in the Father and in the Son. Therefore, relation is not the same as person. Objection to further, according to the philosopher, nothing is contained by itself, but relation is in the person, nor can it be said that this occurs because they are identical, for otherwise relation would be also in the essence. Therefore relation or property is not the same as person in God. Objection 3. Further, when several things are identical, what is predicated of one is predicated of the others. But all that is predicated of a person is not predicated of his property. For we say that the Father begets, but not that the paternity is begetting. Therefore, property is not the same as person in God. On the contrary, in God what is and whereby it is are the same, according to Boethius. But the Father is Father by paternity, in the same way the other properties are the same as the persons. I answer that different opinions have been held on this point. Some have said that the properties are not the persons nor in the persons, and these have thought thus owing to the mode of signification of the relations which do not indeed signify existence in something, but rather existence toward something. Whence they styled the relations assistant, as above explained. But since relation, considered as really existing in God, is the divine essence itself, and the essence is the same as person, as appears from what was said above, relation must necessarily be the same as person. 
Others, therefore, considering this identity, said that the properties were indeed the persons, but not in the persons, for they said there are no properties in God except in our way of speaking, as stated above. We must, however, say that there are properties in God, as we have shown. These are designated by abstract terms, being forms, as it were, of the persons. So since the nature of a form requires it to be in that of which it is the form, we must say that the properties are in the persons, and yet that they are the persons. As we say that the essence is in God, and yet is God. Reply to Objection 1. Person and property are really the same, but differ in concept. Consequently, it does not follow that if one is multiplied, the other must also be multiplied. We must, however, consider that in God, by reason of the divine simplicity, a twofold real identity exists as regards what in creatures are distinct. For since the divine simplicity excludes the composition of matter and form, it follows that in God the abstract is the same as the concrete, as Godhead and God. And as the divine simplicity excludes the composition of subject and accident, it follows that whatever is attributed to God is his essence itself. And so wisdom and power are the same in God because they are both in the divine essence. According to this twofold identity, property in God is the same as person, for personal properties are the same as the persons because the abstract and the concrete are the same in God, since they are the subsisting persons themselves, as paternity is the Father himself, and filiation is the Son, and procession is the Holy Ghost. But the non-personal properties are the same as the persons according to the other reason of identity, whereby whatever is attributed to God is his own essence. Thus common spiration is the same as the person of the Father and the person of the Son, not that it is one self-subsisting person, but that as there is one essence in the two persons, so also there is one property in the two persons, as above explained. Reply to Objection 2. The properties are said to be in the essence only by mode of identity, but in the persons they exist by mode of identity, not merely in reality, but also in the mode of signification, as the form exists in its subject. Thus the properties determine and distinguish the persons, but not the essence. Reply to Objection 3. Notional participles and verbs signify the notional acts, and acts belong to a suppositum. Now properties are not designated as supposita, but as forms of supposita, and so their mode of signification is against notional participles and verbs being predicated of the properties. Second article, whether the persons are distinguished by the relations. Objection 1. It would seem that the persons are not distinguished by the relations, for simple things are distinct by themselves. But the persons are supremely simple, therefore they are distinguished by themselves and not by the relation. Objection 2. Further, a form is distinguished only in relation to its genus, for white is distinguished from black only by quality. But hypostasis signifies an individual in the genus of substance, therefore the hypostases cannot be distinguished by relations. 
Objection 3. Further, what is absolute comes before what is relative. But the distinction of the divine persons is the primary distinction. Therefore, the divine persons are not distinguished by the relations. And objection 4. Further, whatever presupposes distinction cannot be the first principle of distinction. But relation presupposes distinction which comes into its definition, for a relation is essentially what is towards another. Therefore, the first distinctive principle in God cannot be relation. On the contrary, Boethius says, relation alone multiplies the trinity of the divine persons. I answer that in whatever multitude of things is to be found something common to all, it is necessary to seek out the principle of distinction. So as the three persons agree in the unity of essence, we must seek to know the principle of distinction whereby they are several. Now there are two principles of difference between the divine persons, and these are origin and relation. Although these do not really differ, yet they differ in the mode of signification, for origin is signified by way of act, as generation, and relation by way of the form, as paternity. Some, then, considering that relation follows upon act, have said that the divine hypostases are distinguished by origin, so that we may say that the Father is distinguished from the Son, inasmuch as the former begets and the latter is begotten. Further, that the relations or the properties make known the distinctions of the hypostases or persons as resulting therefrom, as also in creatures the properties manifest the distinctions of individuals, which distinctions are caused by the material principles. This opinion, however, cannot stand for two reasons. Firstly, because in order that two things be understood as distinct, their distinction must be understood as resulting from something intrinsic to both. Thus in things created it results from their matter or their form. Now origin of a thing does not designate anything intrinsic, but means the way from something or to something, as generation signifies the way to a thing generated and as proceeding from the generator. Hence it is not possible that what is generated and the generator should be distinguished by generation alone. But in the generator and in the thing generated, we must presuppose whatever makes them to be distinguished from each other. In a divine person there is nothing to presuppose but essence and relation or property. When since the persons agree in essence, it only remains to be said that the persons are distinguished from each other by the relations. Secondly, because the distinction of the divine persons is not to be so understood as if what is common to them all is divided, because the common essence remains undivided, but the distinguishing principles themselves must constitute the things which are distinct. Now the relations or the properties distinguish or constitute the hypostases or persons inasmuch as they are themselves the subsisting persons, as paternity is the father and filiation is the son, because in God the abstract and the concrete do not differ. 
but it is against the nature of origin that it should constitute hypostasis or person for origin taken in an active sense signifies proceeding from a subsisting person so that it presupposes the latter while in a passive sense origin as nativity signifies the way to a subsisting person and as not yet constituting the person it is therefore better to say that the persons or hypostases are distinguished rather by relations than by origin for although in both ways they are distinguished nevertheless in our mode of understanding they are distinguished chiefly and firstly by relations whence this name father signifies not only a property but also the hypostasis whereas this term begetter or begetting signifies property only forasmuch as this name father signifies the relation which is distinctive and constitutive of the hypostasis and this term begetter or begotten signifies the origin which is not distinctive and constitutive of the hypostasis reply to objection one the persons are the subsisting relations themselves hence it is not against the simplicity of the divine persons for them to be distinguished by the relations reply to objection two the divine persons are not distinguished as regards being in which they subsist nor in anything absolute but only as regards something relative hence relation suffices for their distinction reply to objection three the more prior a distinction is the nearer it approaches to unity and so it must be the least possible distinction so the distinction of the persons must be by that which distinguishes the least possible and this is by relation reply to objection four relation presupposes the distinction of the subjects when it is an accident but when the relation is subsistent it does not presuppose but brings about the distinction for when it is said that relation is by nature to be towards another the word another signifies the correlative which is not prior but simultaneous in the order of nature third article whether the hypostases remain if the relations are mentally abstracted from the persons objection one it would seem that the hypostases remain if the properties or relations are mentally abstracted from the persons for that to which something is added may be understood when the addition is taken away as man is something added to animal which can be understood if rational be taken away but person is something added to hypostasis for person is a hypostasis distinguished by a property of dignity therefore if a personal property be taken away from a person the hypostasis remains objection to further that the father is father and that he is someone are not due to the same reason for as he is the father by paternity supposing he is someone by paternity it would follow that the son in whom there is not paternity would not be someone so when paternity is mentally abstracted from the father he still remains someone that is a hypostasis therefore if property be removed from person the hypostasis remains objection three further augustine says 
unbegotten is not the same as father for if the father had not begotten the son nothing would prevent him being called unbegotten but if he had not begotten the son there would be no paternity in him therefore if paternity be removed there still remains the hypostasis of the father as unbegotten on the contrary hilary says the son has nothing else than birth but he is son by birth therefore if filiation be removed the son's hypostasis no more remains and the same holds as regards the other persons i answer that abstraction by the intellect is twofold when the universal is abstracted from the particular as animal abstracted from man and when the form is abstracted from the matter as the form of a circle is abstracted by the intellect from any sensible matter the difference between these two abstractions consists in the fact that in the abstraction of the universal from the particular that from which the abstraction is made does not remain for when the difference of rationality is removed from man the man no longer remains in the intellect but animal alone remains but in the abstraction of the form from the matter both the form and the matter remain in the intellect as for instance if we abstract the form of a circle from brass there remains in our intellect separately the understanding both of a circle and of brass now although there is no universal nor particular in god nor form and matter in reality nevertheless as regards the mode of signification there is a certain likeness of these things in god and thus damascene says that substance is common and hypostasis is particular so if we speak of the abstraction of the universal from the particular the common universal essence remains in the intellect if the properties are removed but not the hypostasis of the father which is as it were a particular but as regards the abstraction of the form from the matter if the non-personal properties are removed then the idea of the hypostases and persons remains as for instance if the fact of the father's being unbegotten or spirating be mentally abstracted from the father the father's hypostasis or person remains if however the personal property be mentally abstracted the idea of the hypostasis no longer remains for the personal properties are not to be understood as added to the divine hypostases as a form is added to a pre-existing subject but they carry with them their own supposita inasmuch as they are themselves subsisting persons thus paternity is the father himself for hypostasis signifies something distinct in god since hypostasis means an individual substance so as relation distinguishes and constitutes the hypostases as above explained it follows that if the personal relations are mentally abstracted the hypostases no longer remain some however think as above noted that the divine hypostases are not distinguished by the relations but only by origin so that the father is a hypostasis as not from another and the son is a hypostasis as from another by generation 
and that the consequent relations which are to be regarded as properties of dignity constitute the notion of a person and are thus called personal properties hence if these relations are mentally abstracted the hypostasis but not the persons remain but that is impossible for two reasons first because the relations distinguish and constitute the hypostases as shown above secondly because every hypostasis of a rational nature is a person as appears from the definition of boethius that person is the individual substance of a rational nature hence to have hypostasis and not person it would be necessary to abstract the rationality from the nature but not the property from the person reply to objection one person does not add to hypostasis a distinguishing property absolutely but a distinguishing property of dignity all of which must be taken as the difference now this distinguishing property is one of dignity precisely because it is understood as subsisting in a rational nature hence if the distinguishing property be removed from the person the hypostasis no longer remains whereas it would remain were the rationality of the nature removed for both person and hypostasis are individual substances consequently in god the distinguishing relation belongs essentially to both reply to objection two by paternity the father is not only father but is a person and is someone or a hypostasis it does not follow however that the son is not someone or a hypostasis just as it does not follow that he is not a person reply to objection three augustine does not mean to say that the hypostasis of the father would remain as unbegotten if his paternity were removed as if innaciability constituted and distinguished the hypostasis of the father for this would be impossible since being unbegotten says nothing positive and is only a negation as he himself says but he speaks in a general sense forasmuch as not every unbegotten being is the father so if paternity be removed the hypostasis of the father does not remain in god as distinguished from the other persons but only as distinguished from creatures as the jews understand it fourth article whether the properties presuppose the notional acts objection one it would seem that the notional acts are understood before the properties for the master of sentences says that the father always is because he is ever begetting the son so it seems that generation precedes paternity in the order of intelligence objection two further in the order of intelligence every relation presupposes that on which it is founded as equality presupposes quantity but paternity is a relation founded on the action of generation therefore paternity presupposes generation and objection three further active generation is to paternity as nativity is to filiation but filiation presupposes nativity for the son is so called because he is born therefore paternity also presupposes generation on the contrary generation is the operation of the person of the father but paternity constitutes the person of the father therefore in the order of intelligence paternity is prior to generation i answer 
that according to the opinion that the properties do not distinguish and constitute the hypostases in God, but only manifest them as already distinct and constituted, we must absolutely say that the relations in our mode of understanding follow upon the notional acts, so that we can say without qualifying the phrase that because he begets, he is the Father. A distinction, however, is needed if we suppose that the relations distinguish and constitute the divine hypostases. For origin has in God an active and passive signification, active as generation is attributed to the Father, and spiration taken for the notional act is attributed to the Father and the Son, passive as nativity is attributed to the Son, and procession to the Holy Ghost. For in the order of intelligence, origin, in the passive sense, simply precedes the personal properties of the person proceeding, because origin, as passively understood, signifies the way to a person constituted by the property. Likewise, origin signified actively is prior in the order of intelligence to the non-personal relation of the person originating, as the notional act of spiration precedes in the order of intelligence the unnamed relative property common to the Father and the Son. The personal property of the Father can be considered in a twofold sense. Firstly, as a relation, and thus again in the order of intelligence it presupposes the notional act, for relation as such is founded upon an act. Secondly, according as it constitutes the person, and thus the notional act presupposes the relation, as an action presupposes a person acting. Reply to Objection 1. When the Master says that because he begets he is father the term father is taken as meaning relation only but not as signifying the subsisting person for then it would be necessary to say conversely that because he is father he begets reply to objection two this objection avails of paternity as a relation but not as constituting a person reply to objection three nativity is the way to the person of the son and so in the order of intelligence it precedes filiation even as constituting the person of the son but active generation signifies a proceeding from the person of the father wherefore it presupposes the personal property of the father the end of question forty question forty one of summa theologica pars prima trinity and creation this is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording is by Jim Ruddy. Summa Theologica Pars Prima, Trinity and Creation by St. Thomas Aquinas. Translated by the Fathers of the English Dominican Province. Question 41 of the persons in reference to the notional acts. We now consider the persons in reference to the notional acts concerning which six points of inquiry arise. Whether the notional acts are to be attributed to the persons, whether these acts are necessary or voluntary, whether as regards these acts a person proceeds from nothing or from something, whether in God there exists a power as regards the notional acts, what this power means, 
and whether several persons can be the term of one notional act. First article, whether the notional acts are to be attributed to the persons. Objection 1. It would seem that the notional acts are not to be attributed to the persons. For Boethius says, whatever is predicated of God, of whatever genus it be, becomes the divine substance except what pertains to the relation. But action is one of the ten genera. Therefore, any action attributed to God belongs to his essence and not to a notion. Objection 2. Further, Augustine says, Everything which is said of God is said of him as regards either his substance or relation. But whatever belongs to the substance is signified by the essential attributes, and whatever belongs to the relations by the names of the persons or by the names of the properties. Therefore, in addition to these, notional acts are not to be attributed to the persons. And objection three, further, the nature of action is of itself to cause passion, but we do not place passions in God, therefore neither are notional acts to be placed in God. On the contrary, Augustine says, it is a property of the Father to beget the Son, therefore notional acts are to be placed in God. I answer that in the divine persons distinction is founded on origin. But origin can be properly designated only by certain acts. Wherefore, to signify the order of origin in the divine persons, we must attribute notional acts to the persons. Reply to Objection 1. Every origin is designated by an act. In God there is a twofold order of origin, one inasmuch as the creature proceeds from him, and this is common to the three persons, and so those actions which are attributed to God to designate the proceeding of creatures from him belong to his essence. Another order of origin in God regards the procession of person from person, wherefore the acts which designate the order of this origin are called notional because the notions of the persons are the mutual relations of the persons, as is clear from what was above explained. Reply to Objection 2. The notional acts differ from the relations of the persons only in their mode of signification and in reality are altogether the same. Whence the Master says that generation and nativity, in other words, are paternity and filiation. To see this, we must consider that the origin of one thing from another is firstly inferred from movement, for that anything be changed from its disposition by movement evidently arises from some cause. Hence action, in its primary sense, means origin of movement. For as movement derived from another into a mobile object is called passion, so the origin of movement itself as beginning from another and terminating in what is moved is called action. Hence, if we take away movement, action implies nothing more than order of origin, insofar as action proceeds from some cause or principle to what is then from that principle. Consequently, since in God no movement exists, the personal action of the one producing a person is only the habitude of the principle to the person who is from the principle. Which habitudes are the relations or the notions? Nevertheless, we cannot speak of divine and intelligible things except after the manner of sensible things, whence we derive our knowledge. 
and wherein actions and passions so far as these imply movement differ from the relations which result from action and passion and therefore it was necessary to signify the habitudes of the persons separately after the manner of act and separately after the manner of relations thus it is evident that they are really the same differing only in their mode of signification reply to objection three action so far as it means origin of movement naturally involves passion but action in that sense is not attributed to god whence passions are attributed to him only from a grammatical standpoint and in accordance with our manner of speaking as we attribute to beget with the father and to the son to be begotten second article whether the notional acts are voluntary objection one it would seem that the notional acts are voluntary for hilary says not by natural necessity was the father led to beget the son objection to further the apostle says he transferred us to the kingdom of the son of his love but love belongs to the will therefore the son was begotten of the father by will objection three further nothing is more voluntary than love but the holy ghost proceeds as love from the father and the son therefore he proceeds voluntarily objection four further the son proceeds by mode of the intellect as the word but every word proceeds by the will from a speaker therefore the son proceeds from the father by will and not by nature objection five further what is not voluntary is necessary therefore if the father begot the son not by the will it seems to follow that he begot him by necessity and this is against what augustine says on the contrary augustine says in the same book that the father begot the son neither by will nor by necessity i answer that when anything is said to be or to be made by the will this can be understood in two senses in one sense the ablative designates only concomitance as i can say that i am a man by my will that is i will to be a man and in this way it can be said that the father begot the son by will as also he is god by will because he wills to be god and wills to beget the son in the other sense the ablative imports the habitude of a principle as it is said that the workman works by his will as the will is the principle of his work and thus in that sense it must be said the god the father begot the son not by his will but that he produced the creature by his will whence in the book de synodecte it is said if any one say that the son was made by the will of god as a creature is said to be made let him be anathema the result of this is that the will and nature differ in their manner of causation in such a way that nature is determined to one while will is not determined to one and this because the effect is assimilated to the form of the agent whereby the latter acts now it is manifest that of one thing there is only one natural form whereby it exists and hence such as it is itself such also is its work but the form whereby the will acts is not only one but many according to the number of ideas understood hence the quality of the will's action does not depend on the quality of the agent but on the agent's will and understanding 
So the will is the principle of those things which may be this way or that way, whereas of those things which can be only in one way, the principle is nature. What, however, can exist in different ways is far from the divine nature, whereas it belongs to the nature of a created being, because God is of himself necessary being, whereas a creature is made from nothing. Thus the Arians, wishing to prove the Son to be a creature, said that the Father begot the Son by will, taking will in the sense of principle. But we, on the contrary, must assert that the Father begot the Son not by will, but by nature. Wherefore, Hilary says, The will of God gave to all creatures their substance, but perfect birth gave the Son a nature derived from a substance impassable and unborn. All things created are such as God willed them to be, but the Son, born of God, subsists in the perfect likeness of God. Reply to Objection 1. This saying is directed against those who did not admit even the concomitance of the Father's will in the generation of the Son. For they said that the Father begot the Son in such a manner by nature that the will to beget was wanting. Just as we ourselves suffer many things against our will from natural necessity, as for instance death, old age, and like ills. This appears from what precedes and from what follows as regards the words quoted. For thus we read, not against his will, nor as it were forced, nor as if he were led by natural necessity, did the Father beget the Son. Reply to Objection 2. The Apostle calls Christ the Son of the love of God, inasmuch as he is superabundantly loved by God, not, however, as if love were the principle of the Son's generation. Reply to Objection 3. The will, as a natural faculty, wills something naturally, as man's will naturally tends to happiness, and likewise God naturally wills and loves himself. Whereas in regard to things other than himself, the will of God is in a way undetermined in itself, as above explained. Now the Holy Ghost proceeds as love, inasmuch as God loves himself, and hence he proceeds naturally, although he proceeds by mode of will. Reply to Objection 4. Even as regards the intellectual conceptions of the mind, a return is made to those first principles which are naturally understood. But God naturally understands himself, and thus the conception of the divine word is natural. Reply to Objection 5. A thing is said to be necessary of itself and by reason of another. Taken in the latter sense, it has a twofold meaning. First, as an efficient and compelling cause, and thus necessary means what is violent. Secondly, it means a final cause when a thing is said to be necessary as a means to an end, so far as without it the end could not be attained, or at least so well attained. In neither of these ways is the divine generation necessary, because God is not the means to an end, nor is he subject to compulsion. But a thing is said to be necessary of itself, which cannot but be. In this sense it is necessary for God to be, and in the same sense it is necessary that the Father begot the Son. Third article, whether the notional acts proceed from something. Objection 1. It would seem that the notional acts do not proceed from anything. 
For if the Father begets the Son from something, this will be either from Himself or from something else. If from something else, since that whence a thing is generated exists in what is generated, it follows that something different from the Father exists in the Son, and this contradicts what is laid down by Hilary, in them nothing diverse or different exists. If the Father begets the Son from himself, since again that whence a thing is generated, if it be something permanent, receives as predicate the thing generated therefrom, just as we say the man is white, since the man remains when not from white he is made white, it follows that either the Father does not remain after the Son is begotten, or that the Father is the Son, which is false. Therefore the Father does not beget the Son from something, but from nothing. Objection 2. Further, that whence anything is generated is the principle regarding what is generated. So if the Father generate the Son from his own essence or nature, it follows that the essence or nature of the Father is the principle of the Son. But it is not a material principle, since in God nothing material exists, and therefore is, as it were, an active principle, as the begetter is the principle of the one begotten. Thus it follows that the essence generates, which was disproved above. Objection 3. Further, Augustine says that the three persons are not from the same essence, because the essence is not another thing from person. But the person of the Son is not another thing from the Father's essence, therefore the Son is not from the Father's essence. Objection 4. Further, every creature is from nothing, but in Scripture the Son is called a creature, for it is said in the person of the wisdom begotten, I came out of the mouth of the Most High, the firstborn before all creatures. And further on it is said, as uttered by the same wisdom, from the beginning and before the world was I created. Therefore the Son was not begotten from something, but from nothing. Likewise we can object concerning the Holy Ghost by reason of what is said, Thus saith the Lord, who stretcheth forth the heavens, and layeth the foundations of the earth, and formeth the spirit of man within him. And according to another version, I who form the earth and create the spirit. On the contrary, Augustine says, God the Father of his nature, without beginning, begot the Son equal to himself. I answer, that the Son was not begotten from nothing, but from the Father's substance. For it was explained above that paternity, filiation, and nativity really and truly exist in God. Now this is the difference between true generation, whereby one proceeds from another as a son, and making that the maker makes something out of external matter, as a carpenter makes a bench out of wood, whereas a man begets a son from himself. Now, as a created workman makes a thing out of matter, so God makes things out of nothing, as will be shown later on. Not as if this nothing were a part of the substance of the thing made, but because the whole substance of the thing is produced by him without anything else whatever presupposed. So were the Son to proceed from the Father as out of nothing, then the Son would be to the Father what the thing made is to the Maker, whereto, as is evident, the name of filiation would not apply except by a kind of similitude. Thus, 
If the Son of God proceeds from the Father out of nothing, he could not be properly and truly called the Son, whereas the contrary is stated, that we may be in his true Son, Jesus Christ. Therefore the true Son of God is not from nothing, nor is he made, but begotten. That certain creatures made of God out of nothing are called sons of God is to be taken in a metaphorical sense according to a certain likeness of assimilation to him who is the true Son. Whence, as he is the only true and natural Son of God, he is called the only begotten, according to John, the only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. And so, as others are entitled sons of adoption by their similitude to him, he is called the first begotten, according to Romans, whom he foreknew he also predestined to be made conformable to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn of many brethren. Therefore the Son of God is begotten of the substance of the Father, but not in the same way as man is born of man. For a part of the human substance in generation passes into the substance of the one begotten, whereas the divine nature cannot be parted. Whence it necessarily follows that the Father, in begetting the Son, does not transmit any part of his nature, but communicates his whole nature to him the distinction only of origin remaining as explained above reply to objection one when we say that the son was born of the father the preposition of designates a consubstantial generating principle but not a material principle for that which is produced from matter is made by a change of form in that whence it is produced but the divine essence is unchangeable and is not susceptible of another form. Reply to Objection 2. When we say the Son is begotten of the essence of the Father, as the master of the sentences explains, this denotes the habitude of a kind of active principle, and as he expounds, the Son is begotten of the essence of the Father that is, of the Father who is essence. And so Augustine says, when I say of the Father who is essence, it is the same as if I said more explicitly, of the essence of the Father. This, however, is not enough to explain the real meaning of the words. For we can say that the creature is from God who is essence, but not that it is from the essence of God. So we may explain them otherwise by observing that the preposition of always denotes consubstantiality. We do not say that a house is of the builder, since he is not the consubstantial cause. We can say, however, that something is of another, if this is its consubstantial principle, no matter in what way it is so whether it be an active principle, as the Son is said to be of the Father, or a material principle, as a knife is of iron, or a formal principle. But in those things only in which the forms are subsisting and not accidental to another, for we can say that an angel is of an intellectual nature. In this way, then, we say that the Son is begotten of the essence of the Father, inasmuch as the essence of the Father, communicated by generation, subsists in the Son. Reply to Objection 3. When we say that the Son is begotten of the essence of the Father, a term is added which saves the distinction. But when we say that the three persons are of the divine essence, there is nothing expressed to warrant the distinction signified by the preposition. So there is no parity of argument. 
Reply to Objection 4. When we say wisdom was created, this may be understood not of wisdom which is the Son of God, but of created wisdom given by God to creatures. For it is said, He created her in the Holy Ghost, and He poured her out over all His works. Nor is it inconsistent for Scripture in one text to speak of the wisdom begotten and wisdom created, for wisdom created is a kind of participation of the uncreated wisdom. The saying may also be referred to the created nature assumed by the Son, so that the sense be, from the beginning and before the world was I made, that is, I was foreseen as united to the creature. Or the mention of wisdom as both created and begotten insinuates into our minds the mode of the divine generation. For in generation what is generated receives the nature of the generator, and this pertains to perfection. Whereas in creation... The creator is not changed, but the creature does not receive the creator's nature. Thus, the Son is called both created and begotten, in order that from the idea of creation the immutability of the Father may be understood, and from generation the unity of nature in the Father and the Son. In this way, Hilary expounds the sense of this text of Scripture. The other passages quoted do not refer to the Holy Ghost, but to the created spirit, sometimes called wind, sometimes air, sometimes the breath of man, sometimes also the soul, or any other invisible substance. Fourth article, whether in God there is a power in respect of the notional acts. Objection 1. It would seem that in God there is no power in respect of the notional acts, for every kind of power is either active or passive, neither of which can be here applied, there being in God nothing which we call passive power, as above explained, nor can active power belong to one person as regards another, since the divine persons were not made as stated above. Therefore in God there is no power in respect of the notional acts. Objection to further, the object of power is what is possible. But the divine persons are not regarded as possible, but necessary. Therefore, as regards the notional acts whereby the divine persons proceed, there cannot be power in God. Objection 3. Further, the Son proceeds as the Word, which is the concept of the intellect, and the Holy Ghost proceeds as love, which belongs to the will. But in God, power exists as regards effects and not as regards intellect and will as stated above therefore in god power does not exist in reference to the notional acts on the contrary augustine says if god the father could not beget a co-equal son where is the omnipotence of god the father power therefore exists in god regarding the notional acts i answer that as the notional acts exist in God, so must there be also a power in God regarding these acts, since power only means the principle of act. So as we understand the Father to be principle of generation, and the Father and the Son to be the principle of spiration, we must attribute the power of generating to the Father, and the power of spiration to the Father and the Son. For the power of generation means that whereby the generator generates. Now every generator generates by something. Therefore in every generator we must suppose the power of generation and in the spirator the power of spirating. Reply to objection 1. As a person, according to notional acts, 
does not proceed as if made, so the power in God, as regards the notional acts, has no reference to a person as if made, but only as regards the person as proceeding. Reply to objection 2. Possible, as opposed to what is necessary, is a consequence of a passive power which does not exist in God. Hence in God there is no such thing as possibility in this sense, but only in the sense of possible as contained in what is necessary. And in this latter sense it can be said that as it is possible for God to be, so also it is possible that the Son should be generated. Reply to Objection 3. Power signifies a principle, and a principle implies distinction from that of which it is the principle. Now we must observe a double distinction in things said of God. One is a real distinction. The other is a distinction of reason only. By a real distinction, God by his essence is distinct from those things of which he is the principle by creation, just as one person is distinct from the other of which he is the principle by a notional act. But in God, the distinction of action and agent is one of reason only. Otherwise, action would be an accident in God. And therefore, with regard to those actions in respect of which certain things proceed which are distinct from God, either personally or essentially, we may ascribe power to God in its proper sense of principle. And as we ascribe to God the power of creating, so we may ascribe the power of begetting and aspirating. But to understand and to will are not such actions as to designate the procession of something distinct from God, either essentially or personally. Wherefore, with regard to these actions, we cannot ascribe power to God in its proper sense, but only after our way of understanding and speaking, inasmuch as we designate by different terms the intellect and the act of understanding in God, whereas in God the act of understanding is his very essence, which has no principle. Fifth article, whether the power of begetting signifies a relation and not the essence. Objection 1. It would seem that the power of begetting or of spirating signifies the relation and not the essence. For power signifies a principle as appears from its definition. For active power is the principle of action as we find in metaphysics. But in God, principle in regard to person is said notionally. Therefore, in God, power does not signify essence, but relation. Objection 2. Further, in God, the power to act and to act are not distinct. But in God, begetting signifies relation. Therefore, the same applies to the power of begetting. Objection 3. Further, terms signifying the essence in God are common to the three persons, but the power of begetting is not common to the three persons, but proper to the Father. Therefore, it does not signify the essence. On the contrary, as God has the power to beget the Son, so also he wills to beget him. But the will to beget signifies the essence, therefore also the power to beget. I answer that some have said that the power to beget signifies relation in God, but this is not possible. For in every agent that is properly called power by which the agent acts. Now everything that produces something by its action produces something like itself as to the form by which it acts. 
just as man begotten is like his begetter in his human nature in virtue of which the father has the power to beget a man in every begetter therefore that is the power of begetting in which the begotten is like the begetter now the son of god is like the father who begets him in the divine nature wherefore the divine nature in the father is in him the power of begetting and so hilary says the birth of god cannot but contain that nature from whence it proceeded for he cannot subsist other than god who subsists from no other source than god we must therefore conclude that the power of begetting signifies principally the divine essence as the master says and not the relation only nor does it signify the essence as identified with the relation so as to signify both equally for although paternity is signified as the form of the father nevertheless it is a personal property being in respect to the person of the father what the individual form is to the individual creature now the individual form in things created constitutes the person begetting but is not that by which the begetter begets otherwise socrates would beget socrates so neither can paternity be understood as that by which the father begets but as constituting the person of the father otherwise the father would beget the father but that by which the father begets is the divine nature in which the son is like to him and in this sense damascene says that generation is the work of nature not of nature generating but of nature as being that by which the generator generates and therefore the power of begetting signifies the divine nature directly but the relation indirectly reply to objection one power does not signify the relation itself of a principle for thus it would be in the genus of relation but it signifies that which is a principle not indeed in the sense in which we call the agent a principle but in the sense of being that by which the agent acts now the agent is distinct from that which it makes and the generator from that which it generates but that by which the generator generates is common to generated and generator and so much more perfectly as the generation is more perfect since therefore the divine generation is most perfect that by which the begetter begets is common to begotten and begetter by a community of identity and not only of species as in things created therefore from the fact that we say that the divine essence is the principle by which the begetter begets it does not follow that the divine essence is distinct from the begotten which would follow if we were to say that the divine essence begets reply to objection two as in god the power of begetting is the same as the act of begetting so the divine essence is the same in reality as the act of begetting or paternity although there is a distinction of reason reply to objection three when i speak of the power of begetting power is signified directly generation indirectly just as if i were to say the essence of the father wherefore in respect of the essence which is signified the power of begetting is common to the three persons but in respect of the notion that is connoted it is proper to the person of the father sixth article whether several persons can be the term of one notional act objection one it would seem that the notional act can be directed to several persons 
so that there may be several persons begotten or spirated in God. For whoever has the power of begetting can beget. But the Son has the power of begetting, therefore he can beget. But he cannot beget himself, therefore he can beget another son. Therefore there can be several sons in God. Objection to further, Augustine says, The Son did not beget a creator, not that he could not, but that it behooved him not. Objection 3. Further, God the Father has greater power to beget than has a created father. But a man can beget several sons, therefore God can also, the more so that the power of the Father is not diminished after begetting the Son. On the contrary, in God that which is possible and that which is do not differ. If therefore in God it were possible for there to be several sons, there would be several sons. And thus there would be more than three persons in God, which is heretical. I answer that, as Athanasius says, in God there is only one Father, one Son, one Holy Ghost. For this four reasons may be given. The first reason is in regard to the relations by which alone are the persons distinct. For since the divine persons are the relations themselves as subsistent, there would not be several fathers or several sons in God unless there were more than one paternity or more than one filiation. And this indeed would not be possible except owing to a material distinction, since forms of one species are not multiplied except in respect of matter which is not in God. Wherefore, there can be but one subsistent filiation in God, just as there could be but one subsistent whiteness. The second reason is taken from the manner of the processions, for God understands and wills all things by one simple act. Wherefore, there can be but one person proceeding after the manner of word, which person is the Son, and but one person proceeding after the manner of love, which person is the Holy Ghost. The third reason is taken from the manner in which the persons proceed, for the persons proceed naturally, as we have said, and nature is determined to one. The fourth reason is taken from the perfection of the divine persons. For this reason is the Son perfect, that the entire divine filiation is contained in Him, and that there is but one Son. The argument is similar in regard to the other persons. Reply to Objection 1. We can grant without distinction that the Son has the same power as the Father, but we cannot grant that the Son has the power generandi. Thus taking generandi as the gerund of the active verb, so that the sense would be that the Son has the power to beget, just as although Father and Son have the same being, it does not follow that the Son is the Father by reason of the notional term added. But if the word generandi is taken as the gerund of the passive verb. The power generandi is in the Son, that is, the power of being begotten. The same is to be said if it be taken as the gerundive of an impersonal verb, so that the sense be the power of generation, that is, a power by which it is generated by some person. Reply to Objection 2. Augustine does not mean to say by those words that the son could beget a son, but that if he did not, it was not because he could not, as we shall see later on. 
Reply to Objection 3. Divine perfection and the total absence of matter in God require that there cannot be several sons in God, as we have explained. Wherefore, that there are not several sons is not due to any lack of begetting power in the Father. The end of question 41.